Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here to open up the Word of God as we search the Scriptures and learn together. Today, the text is on, uh, thank you, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. I have a note to myself. It says, start timer. Got it. I'll read the text while we're on the title slide here. As we think about an amazing section of Scripture that, if we look at it, will help us understand one another in the Christian life. And this is Paul talking about his own experience and what's important. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5, reading from the New American Standard Bible. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Verse 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So let's proceed to the first part of verse 3, and I will explain the issues, try to put it into a bigger context, and help us understand some things that will apply to our lives here. But the first part of the verse says, But to me, it is a very small thing that I may exam- be examined by you or any human court. Now, the word there, examined, I'll give you some um, more about that on the next slide. It's interesting to me, as I have some tools to search the, the Greek New Testament, or the Old, for that matter, as far as the Septuagint, the word used is one that's unique to Luke, Acts, and then here in First Corinthians. And I think that the fact that Luke was a traveling companion of Paul shows up in a lot of places. And it explains some things that the critics have said over the years. Well, Paul couldn't have written First Corinthians 13 is too eloquent. Well, we know that Luke was with him. And I'll tell you what, if I can get some help writing, I always try to get it. So I think we need to not criticize the Bible, but learn from it. Examined here um, would be, uh, we'll talk about that in the next slide, but they're suggesting that Paul is lesser than some other preachers that they like better. And that is what the issue was in the context. I'll show you that. So the context, last week we talked about ministry, and especially the apostles in their day, Apollos and those that are being examined here, are stewards. And we looked at stewardship or management of a household, which Jesus uses as parables in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus tells us that a stewardship is given. The master goes away, comes back, and says, give account for your stewardship. What did you do with the responsibility that I gave you? And that happens later. In the meantime, we are often um, putting people into a court that's really not definitive. And that's what's interesting here. It says here, it's a small thing. So it's not Paul saying, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. He's taking it seriously. They're saying, Paul, you are not spiritual enough for us. We found somebody better. Or others we like better. And that is not correct, not just simply because it's about Paul. It's because they're making judgments that they cannot make because they cannot know. So the terminology in the Greek I find very interesting. It's a very small thing. It's not a big deal in this sense. I'm answerable, Paul says, to Christ who made me 
a steward, a household manager. And I'll have to answer. In Chapter 3, we talked about degrees of reward. But this human court is literally, I have this on the slide here, man-like day. It's a word that's put together from um, anthropinos, which would be man-like as an adjective, and then day is hemera. And you could translate this validly, human court, as it is here in the New American Standard. But if you look at the text, you could also say, I'm not uh, accountable to the day of man. I'm accountable to the day of the Lord. The day of man would, would be, we don't think this is very good. We like it this way. We would want it that way. That's what the Corinthians were doing. No human day of reckoning will matter. And I'm hoping to show, as we just have a couple of applications when I get there, that the thing that is the most challenging and sometimes harmful for all who would be in Christian ministry is that we feel more pressure to please the group that we may be a part of than to please the Lord himself who gave us a calling. And that's true, I believe, by implication to all who serve God in all Christian ministry. No human day of reckoning will matter, but it weighs so heavily upon us right now. It's very hard not to think that way. What are they thinking about me? How many different ways have I failed? Or maybe I'm better than somebody else. That sort of thing can get in our minds. I know it has in mine many times, and it's crippling. It, it either leads to pride or a very damaging fear of man that would just halt everything. But when we realize that God has revealed the terms of serving him, and God has called people to serve him, and living to please the Lord by his grace is going to matter in that day, that future day that's not yet. So the faithful stewards we talked about last week are managers of the mysteries of God. So the critics may say, you're not very good. We like Apollos better. It doesn't matter because they aren't the judges. The Corinthians had ju Paul, judged Paul to be less than desirable as a spiritual leader. Let me repeat a passage we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. I'll read it to you. This is Paul quoting the Corinthian critics. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. We want an orator. We want someone smooth and desirable. Paul? Now, those sort of things may seem interesting as we look back at it, almost shocking, but that attitude prevails in Christendom throughout history and even to today. And even more tragically, because Paul, Apollos, and Peter's mentioned, though he hadn't been in Corinth in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, they were all preaching the same gospel. It's even worse today because people are judged in the human day and told not to preach the gospel if they want to be accepted. Now, that's worse than what's going on here. It's absolutely horrible. Because now you have an inability for people to go to church and know they're going to hear the truth of the gospel. It's a certain thing that someone talented, smooth, and gets everything right, young, whatever it may be that they're looking for, but it's not certain that you'll hear about Christ. That's tragic. Let's go to the second part of the verse. Paul says, in fact, 
I do not even examine myself. Using that same word, anacrino. So it appears three times in two verses. And I'll show you in a bit. It appears three times in two other verses earlier. The word anacrino, the word crino is to judge. And this has a prefix, ana. And it's not used this way other than in Luke, Acts, and 1 Corinthians. And this word would mean they evaluate or appraise him or examine him. And they're not asking the question, did God send Paul to Corinth? Did Paul preach the gospel? Did the church come into being because of the work of God? They're asking, what do you like? Why should we? We don't think you're very interesting. We don't think you have the right talent set. And that isn't right. Now, Paul says, I don't examine myself. What does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that he isn't very aware of the calling and the terms of stewardship and what Christ called him to do. That'll become clear as we go on. We're learning about that in the book of Acts. But the point is, we can evaluate ourselves and find ourselves to be doing great when, in fact, we're not. Or we might examine ourselves and think, I think I might as well give up. The best thing to do is remember who the Lord is, what he did for us, and be sober-minded and also think uh, well of those around us who serve Christ because it's a miracle that any of us are saved and brought together by God's grace. So he took the revealed requirements of stewardship seriously, but his own valuation wouldn't be conclusive. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians two fourteen and 15, I'll show you those two verses where this same Greek word is used three times, just as it is in these verses. And I think there is an allusion back to that, and we should remember what the, what's on the table. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, where the same anacrino is used. Here's what it says. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, same word, or examined, or judged. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Now look at, as you've opened there, to 1 Corinthians two fourteen and 15. Think about this. We're in the same epistle. We're just a couple chapters later, but the topic is still on the table, judging one another. The natural man here is someone who's lost. And I preached about that. The word except there has a root of decomine, decomine, which would mean to welcome warmly. The things of God are welcomed by those who know God or are born of God. But if you tell people who reject Christianity, the things of God, they have, they're offended. You mean, if I don't believe in Christ, I'm going to hell? Yep. Well, go away. We won't listen. What kind of a, you must be one of those people. Have you heard that? The evangelists here, oh, you're one of those uh, born again. Yeah, I know about them. They're nuts. Have you heard that? A lot of people have. That's what I thought until God saved me. I was like Saul of Tarsus in the sense that I was angry against the gospel and blasphemous. So I was the natural man who doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness. Why? You mean that I have to believe in a Jewish Messiah who made fantastic claims and did miracles and walked on water. If I don't believe in him, 
then I go to hell. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my. Now what are we going to do? This doesn't sound like what anybody wants to hear. But it's the power of God. And then it goes on. Uh, because they are spiritually appraised. Those who have the Spirit are born of God, hear the things of God, and we find joy. We want to hear. We want to hear the Word of God taught. We want to learn more about our common salvation. We want to learn how God is at work and the hope that we have within us. He who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. So here again, three times. This doesn't mean that some Christians are above being appraised by others, but it's the fact that those who know God are not judged by those who do not, who say you are crazy to be a born-again Christian. We We don't accept that. It's foolishness. It's offensive. It's an offense to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. So Paul's critics judge him to be lacking in this regard. I'm writing, I'm reading my notes here. The elitists in Corinth had judged Paul to be unspiritual by their worldly standards. Using the same term, Anacrino, Paul rejects their judgments of him. And he doesn't even try to do that himself. It is only the Lord's prerogative to judge his stewards and will do so when he returns. In the meantime, we follow Scripture and teach by God's grace the things that we know will be uh, convicting of sin and save those who believe and edifying to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 4. Paul says this, For I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Well, we can um, put ourselves into the court of our own opinion and decide we're great. That's not a good policy. There there are some very uh, interesting and powerful passages in the Old Testament like that. The king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, remember when he did that? Stands up on the, looks over his creation. Babylon, oh, look at what I did. This is so wonderful. What happened to him? Anybody read that? He ended up grazing with the cattle and lost it. And later, what did he say? Now I know there's a God in heaven and he's able to humble those who walk in pride. So, Paul, called by Christ and taught by Christ, wasn't willingly failing his duty But that's not enough. He needs to continually, and all of us do, realize that God, the Lord himself, will be the judge. So the Corinthians had their own opinions about Paul, and they were not impressed. But we're not here to impress anybody, but to please the Lord. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore, do not go on, excuse me, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is where Christians appear to give account for their stewardship. It's not loss of salvation, we saw that in chapter 3, but rewards for service or lack thereof, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. 
the first part of that verse. This is another imperative in the Greek. It says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. Before the time. It's all, I mean, the heading of the slide here. Stop making impertinent judgments. We must judge in the sense of whether something is from God or not, whether a teaching is biblical or not, whether Christ is preached, whether the truth is affirmed. There are things that we need to know and judge. But the judgments being passed here are impertinent. They're not ours to make. We're not judging that some gifts are better than others. Some preachers, if they are indeed preaching Christ, are better to listen to. We're making judgments we can't know. That's God's business. There's the wood, hate, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones in chapter 3. The time here, kairos, typically there's a range of meaning, but kairos typically means qualitative time, not just chronological time going on. The time is the eschatological or end time place where the judgment is brought by the Lord himself. Now, there are, in fact, a string of imperatives. Let me slow down a little bit and explain that. If you're new, we have talked about this here. An imperative in the Greek generally is uh, an exhortation, a command, or like our exclamation mark. Do this or don't do that, or there are other uses of it. So this is something we take to heart and believe and do, okay? Don't go on passing judgment. In other words, stop doing this. If God uses Apollos at Corinth after he was helped along, praise God. If he uses some other preacher, praise God. If somebody has a false teaching, they should be rejected. So here are the five imperatives, if you want to jot it down, that are found between 1 Corinthians 3.18 and this passage. I'll, I'll read them to you. Number one and two are from 1 Corinthians 3.18. Imperatives. What not to do. What to do. 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, here's the second one, he must become foolish. Now, I preached on that. Paul is saying, okay, you all better become fools. In context, it means the cross itself is deemed foolish by the world. So don't deceive yourself. If the world thinks the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolish, preach it anyhow. Do you get that? Don't change your message in order to gain the accolades of religious consumers. That would be self-deceptive. Look at everybody that wants to listen to me. But you preach Christ, and, well, what happened to you? And they leave. So let no one deceive himself, imperative number one. In this age, in other words, what the people who reject Christ want to hear, he must become foolish so that he, be, he might become wise. How many religious institutions founded for the sake of Christ and the gospel now preach the exact opposite? In fact, one way to be fired is to preach Christ and the gospel and the fact that we need to escape from the wrath of God. And so that would be um, self-deception and better to be considered a fool for preaching the cross. Imperative number three is from 1 Corinthians 3.21. Let no one boast in man. That's number three, same idea. How many people like us or how great we are or whatever we're boasting in. Imperative number four is from 
1 Corinthians 4, 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. In other words, when we're talking about ministers of the gospel, in this case, Paul the Apostle or Paulus or Peter or anyone else, all who are appointed by Christ are his servants. So the imperative is think of us as servants who will be accountable. Those who abuse the Lord's flock will be held in account in that day. And then number, that's number four, regard ministers as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, which is the gospel. And then here, do not go on judging before the time. Do not go on judging before the time. Why does he say that? 1 Corinthians 1.12. Paul heard from Chloe's people, there are quarrels among you. Each is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. As if Christ was only one of many rather than the head of the church. So there are the five imperatives. And this is the issue. Factions. Factions. Parochial factions who organize themselves around something that's only part, or may even be something false, in which case it wouldn't even be Christian. But only this. That's what we're about. And that's really what church history shows has happened through the centuries. The Lord, not man, will judge his servants. Let's go to the last part of this verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 5b. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. This is still on the topic we saw in chapter 3. There's future judgment. There's degrees of reward. And how do we build on the foundation already laid, which is Christ? And we build on Christ and his apostles, according to Ephesians, and that is what faithful service looks like. Wait until the Lord comes. So the Lord called and appointed his servants. There's some really great parables in Luke about this that I'm tempted to preach on, but I got to stay on this topic. One of them is rather long. It's in Luke 16 about the unjust manager who was shrewd in his own way. But the fact is, the point is, we are going to have to give account for stewardship. So wait, wait until the Lord comes. And some will think about that and say, well, it's been a couple thousand years. He hasn't showed up yet. So I think I'll worry about what the church prelates think. But that is so dangerous. In fact, it's very, very misleading. I mentioned to several of you, and I also continue to work on this, reading a little book I bought at Bible College that was written in 1964 called The Torch of the Testimony. And it's interesting. I'm not saying I agree with everything in there. It's very hard to read because of the cumbersome way the language is used there. But in that book, the author traces groups within larger Christendom who gathered based on the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer in simple fellowship. And the claim there is that the institutional church persecutes those who ultimately trust the gospel alone. And recently, I read about the martyrdom of Tyndale for having the audacity to translate from the Greek into the common vernacular. The hierarchical church 
of Rome saw that as a threat to their political and ecclesiastical power, and so Tyndale was martyred. Why would it be that teaching the Word of God in the languages of the people so they could understand it would be such a threat just translating into the language because they didn't know Latin. And they, they bring it to the people, Tyndale, you have to die. Very uh, striking description of that in church history. Here's why the baseline is this. The authority of Scripture, the priesthood of every believer. No ecclesiastical authority has the right to go between people who are crying out to God for salvation through Christ and say, no, you go through us or you die. That is a horrible thing that happened. And yes, we look here and the early Christians were killed by Jews and Gentiles. There was a lot of persecution. But what happens later, after the time of the apostles, when churches kill Christians? That's what happened. But we need to wait for the Lord who comes. And in the meantime, the Lord called, the Lord knows things we cannot know. Notice this. When the Lord comes, bring to light things hidden in the darkness, disclose the motives of of men's hearts. I hope you know something that's clearly biblical. Only God knows the heart. It's said many times. Jeremiah says so. In Acts, God is called the heart knower. God who knows the heart. Hidden motives. Self-deception. The idea that I may think I'm doing a great job in actually teaching error. It could happen. That's why we need to search the scriptures like the Bereans. And so when we start judging the motives of the hearts, we can't know those things. We can see fruit. We can compare doctrine to the scripture, but only the Lord knows the heart. There are things we must Judge now, this is from my notes, but not the relative quality of various stewards of the gospel. I can't tell you who the best gospel preacher is, but I can tell you what the gospel is. Does that make sense? It's about Christ, who he is. And if we don't preach Christ, who he is, what he did, why we need him and what he expects of us, then our stewardship is worthless. How many talented people end up being stewards of human institutions that are building with brick and mortar things that ultimately will be used by the world to persecute Christians? Oh, yes. It's going on right now here in America. I want to quote Gordon Fee. Last week I didn't quote a scholar, but Gordon Fee's work is so uh, well done on this and helped me at a time when I needed it. So let me quote him here. By implication, says Fee, it is also a word to those who preach and teach that they recognize themselves as under trust. Their trustworthiness, says Fee, is finally going to be judged by the Lord himself on the grounds of their being faithful to the trust itself, the gospel. In that hour, none of one's self-evaluation as to one's worth in the kingdom is going to count for a thing. He says, only our faithfulness to the gospel itself. And to that I say, amen and amen. Someone forwarded an email from a famous evangelical leader 
bragging about how he did more than whole denominations can do. Look at what I did. Now, how could that be if we even take these things seriously? How could it be possible to brag about how important I am if I can't even know that? The same leader refused to preach Christ, forgiveness of sins, and the blood atonement. So that can be judged to not be the gospel. Now, if you want to turn to this, Hebrews 4.13, and as you go on from there, I'm just going to have two points of application. So I wanted to make sure there's time. Today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. But Hebrews is an amazing book of the Bible. Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and lay bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13. It's stunning in its clarity. Now, what's really amazing is you keep reading on and you find out that there's a throne of grace. If you understand the reality of Christ, who he is, what he's done, and the omniscience of God, and that even the motives of the heart will be judged, then it would be absurd to start talking about how great we are. But at the same time, you go down to verse 16, and we have the one high priest, Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, we have access to the throne of grace where we receive timely help. There are many passages that God knows the heart, and honestly, it does scare us in some ways. Hopefully, not so much as to cripple us, we need that throne of grace, but enough enough for us to be sober-minded. I don't know that I'm doing a great job or a good sort of job or maybe I botched it up. But worrying about that will cripple you. But getting the gospel right and doing the study so that you know the text and get it there, God will use that even if I cough in the middle of it. Honestly, um, I think the whole country kind of got cough conscious in the last few years. Yeah, because of uh, the diseases and the mass and all this stuff that went on. I, why did I even bring that up? But the point is, we just need to be bold in the gospel and trust that God will use it. And the people that we never noticed, that we didn't think did anything, who, did, who were even important or visible or whatever, may be the ones who are the greatest in the kingdom of God the day the Lord comes. And the ones we thought were the greatest ever, who knows? The Lord knows. Maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. But faithfulness to the gospel is never wrong. Persecuting people who hunger for the truth because you want to protect your institution is always wrong. Always, always, always. Never is God pleased when people with thousands and thousands of followers refuse to even tell people about forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. And that is horrifying, but sadly true. So there are many other passages. God does know the heart, therefore only God can be the final judge of who was the faithful servant. Now let's look at two um, points. I'm going to keep it shorter. There's enough to think about here. There'll be more the next time. We get back in 1 Corinthians 4. Judgments based on what is not now revealed are deceptive. And secondly, the fear of man is a grave danger to our faith, 
and faithfulness to God. And I could say from the scripture that the one thing that'll destroy people serving who are serving God is pride. That's pretty clear. It starts with the Garden of Eden. You should be like God. It's found in the Gospels. I mentioned Nebuchadnezzar. I mentioned Saul before. They were saying Saul slew his thousands, David his ten thousands. Saul lifted with pride, brought down. Anything that accentuates pride is a serious danger. Anything that brings glory to God in the person and work of Christ is honoring to God. So the fear of man is a great danger to both our faith and our faithfulness to God. Let's look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is very simple, and we refer to it often. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Now that is written by Moses in Deuteronomy, but applies to Scripture what's revealed through God's ordained spokesperson, in that case Moses. The secret things aren't revealed. The thing that infatuates most people that I hear from that are wondering about different teachings that are popular in a church, churches all around the world, is this. Most of the biggest selling books are claiming to reveal secrets that the author knows. The secret to intimacy with God. The secret to, and there are so many different books like that. But it's at best misleading and worst damning. If it's used figuratively, I have the secret to growing in God's grace, and that is believe his promises. Well, then you don't really need a secret for that because he tells us to do that. And it's in the Bible. But sometimes it might be just that. But mostly it's the secret that people hadn't thought about. A neogram. Someone emailed me asking about a book called um, Sacred Rhythms. I hadn't heard of it. I looked it up. There are no sacred rhythms. There's the promises of God. And so the secret things belong to God. So if it is secret, it's not revealed. If it's about spiritual matters, we have the scriptures. So don't write a book about it. But that's what sells the best. Things revealed belong to us. Now, think about this. What if we would affirm that and say, okay, I believe that no one's going to write new scripture. This is scripture. The Bible's the word of God. That's right. But everybody knows that. We live in a Christian nation. Everybody's going to church or a lot of people go to church. There's Bibles, biggest selling book ever. They're all over the place. So let's do something else. Wrong. That is dishonoring to God. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. And as we understand what God says, once for all, we learn and we grow and God changes us and reminds us that the things that we're so upset about that we can't really change anyhow aren't really the key things. But the promises of God, as soon as you become a Christian, fill your mind with the word of God. I promise you, when you get older, you'll be glad because verses will come into your mind. And it'll remind me not to be angry while I'm driving in traffic. Now, I'm not claiming victory, but I'm claiming that I get more victory when I remember that and I get angry. Things like that. Why? Fear man brings a snare. 
The Lord's coming again. This is all temporal. There's plenty of things like that. Now let's go to one more slide here as we think about what the Lord's done for us. This verse comes to me all the time. And it's worth remembering. Proverbs 29, 29. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So here we have a parallelism, very common in the Old Testament and in the New. So there's an antithetical parallelism. The first part, the fear of man. Oh, there's going to be a man-like day of judgment. Somebody's going to think I failed. That brings a snare. In the New Testament, the snare scandal would be like a trigger trap. It's a trap. It'll keep you from being faithful to the gospel or faithful in service. But trusting in the Lord means God will reward faithful service at, at the day of the Lord. That's the thing. If we don't have an eternal perspective, the fear of man will always prevail because it's very rare that the truth is popular in the pagan world. In fact, it just isn't. And so therefore, believing that God's revealed this truth and that he will reward faithful service and that we have to trust him and not man, God will bless that. Now, I put up a verse that came to mind that illustrates what I think is the biggest problem in evangelicalism today. This was back before. Here's the verse, John 12, 42 through 43. John 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, let me, in fact, this is in the context of Jesus' ministry. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. How fitting to what Paul is telling us here. Now, in John 12, they believed to some degree. Now, in some cases in John, those who believed, like in John 8, end up wanting him dead. So their belief was superficial. And let me just read on and preach the gospel to you. I haven't put these on the slide. John 12, 46 through 48. Jesus said a little later in this section, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may now remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not... Judge him, for I did not come into the world uh, to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48, John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. That passage is stunning. Does that mean there will be no judgment? No. But they would think, well, if you are who you claim you are, then why don't you judge all the sinners right now? That's future. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, according to John, came into this world. The very creator came to this world, fallen as it is, and brought light. It came with a message of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And people heard him and believed that he did great things, but they loved the approval of the religious leaders, so they didn't want to go along with it. Every one of us right now, think about this. Is the approval of other people 
more important than being faithful to the gospel and trusting Christ. If he is who he claims to be, and he is, God the Son, the the virgin-born, sinless one who died for sins once for all, was crucified and raised on the third day, who appeared to many witnesses, who shed blood is an atoning work, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who verified his claims by appearing to many witnesses, doing works no one's ever done, and ascending to heaven. And he will come again and bring judgment. That's later. That's why verse 48 The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The true rest is found in Messiah, Jesus Christ. Religious works will never give you rest. Work, 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 work. When you get done... Life is at an end. You're afraid. Maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe, maybe, what's this all about? I failed. But Jesus gives rest to those who trust in him. He doesn't tie up more burdens. He gives rest. He delivers us from the wrath of God. The gospel says, repent and believe the gospel. Avert the wrath of God. Trust in him. There will be a judgment. Today, even today, as you hear this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him alone. Don't trust man. Trust Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. That is what the gospel is all about. And I'm going to pray, and let's think about that. And if today is the first day you came to Christ, just now, You'll be ready to have a preview of the Lord's Supper by participating in that preview, which we call communion. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for your goodness and kindness. That these things we're allowed to see, these revealed things that we should pay attention to. And in fact, the very words that will bring salvation if we listen. Help us to not fear man but to fear you and to flee to you. Thank you that we can have brothers and sisters in you to fellowship with. And Lord, today, may people hear the truth and come and find forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.